Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace 417 in your app store and follow along. And now, for our message. We're going to be this morning in the book of Mark, chapter 4. If you want to turn to Mark, chapter 4, on your device or on your, uh, this device, and you can, we're going to be at the beginning of that book. We are, first of all, I want to say great, uh, I'm grateful that you're here. Thanks for visiting. If you're a visitor, thanks for being here. If you're not a visitor, if you're online watching, we're grateful that you're part of this gathering this morning. Uh, we are in the midst of a series of messages called Lord of All, talking about how Jesus is the Lord of all, how he is the master of everything. Uh, that, that word Lord in the New Testament most often is defined, and you're going to help me with this because you've heard me say it at least 30 times in the last three weeks, it is the one who has the power of deciding. deciding. Good job. Some of you have been paying attention. That's really good. Lordship is giving to another the power of deciding over our lives. When we come to Christ, we are giving him that power, that, that authority over our lives. We are making him the master of our lives in every part, every part of our lives. He is the Lord of all. In the, in the couple of weeks that, that have preceded this one, we have talked about the definition of lordship and we have looked at that very common pathway that many people follow, that they start off really excited about following Jesus and excited about the good things that are happening in their lives and the gifts that they've received, but as they become more aware of what it actually costs, what it actually means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, they, they, they have second thoughts and they back up and they turn away. See that in John chapter 6, but it's actually through the scriptures in quite a number of places. We looked at lordship last week as it relates to not just saying Lord and not just doing good works, even in the name of Jesus, but actually being surrendered to the will of God for our lives. That that is the way that we demonstrate lordship, just emptying ourselves and saying, Lord, I want you to be the master of everything. The salvation that we receive, we receive by faith, and it costs us nothing. It costs Jesus everything. But the lordship of our lives, that, that fact that Jesus is the Lord of all, that costs him nothing because he's always been the Lord. From eternity past to eternity future, he has always been the Lord. But when we say, God, I want you to be the Lord of all, I want you to be the one who has the power of deciding over my life, when we make that statement, we are saying, I am willing to give everything. Salvation is free. Lordship costs everything. And I want us this morning, as we've been moving in this series, kind of thinking about this lordship concept in a big way, I want us this morning to begin to focus on more around the implications and the applications, what it means for Jesus to be the Lord of every part of your life and my life. Get into the details. So can we pray this morning and invite the Holy Spirit to teach us as we get into the, God's word so that we will start to, even at a higher level and in a deeper way, apply what God's word says about Jesus being Lord of all in us. Can we do that? Let's try that again. Can we do that? Yes. Good, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are the Lord of all. We ask that you would help us to invite you to be Lord of all in every detail of our lives. As we go to your word this morning, open our understanding so that we can comprehend what you're teaching us. Like the word says, please give us ears to hear so that we can hear and understand and move forward closer and more intimately with you than we've ever been before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter four is the telling in Mark's gospel of the most 
well-known, most popular, most talked about parable of any of Jesus' parables. So trivia question, what is the most popular of Jesus' parables? It's the parable of the sower. Good. Very good. First service. They must have been sleepy because they totally missed that. It's the parable of the sower. It's in Matthew. It's in Mark. It's in Luke. Matthew and Mark's renditions or versions of the parable are very, very similar. Luke's is a little bit different, has a little more detail, a little more um, texture to it. And I'm going to read a little bit of Luke's later. But they're basically the same story told three different times by three different authors. And in the parable um, of the sower, we, we have three main factors. We have a sower. And just so you know, real quick, I'm not very agricultural. I'm not a big agricultural guy. Susan grew up on a little farm. I grew up in the basement playing Atari. You've heard me say that before. That's our backgrounds. It's kind of like Ben and Rachel Hayden. It's just a generation older than them. So she knows how to do all that stuff. I don't know anything. But I understand that sowing... In the, in the agricultural sense, has to do with taking seeds and doing like, like this is my bag, whatever that's called, and I'm grabbing seeds and I'm throwing seeds and I'm walking around and this is how in first century and probably many centuries after the first century, fields were planted with, with crops. They were done so by sowing. Does this make sense? Has everybody got the idea here? Okay, so in this parable, we have three things going on. We have a sower, who's the person. We have seed that is being sown or being spread and we have soil. And so I want to read to you the first nine verses of chapter four. That's the actual telling of the story. We're going to look at this in two parts, the story part and then the explanation part that Jesus gives. So let me, let me read it to you. Mark chapter four, starting in verse one. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And as he was teaching them in many parables, and I'm sorry, I said that wrongly. And he was teaching them in many parables, and his teaching said to the, and he said, (laughs) 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 and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, say that with me, listen, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. It's much bigger on here, by the way. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it, and other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's say that last line, verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There, the sower and the seed and the soil, I want, just from the very beginning, we need to make sure that we understand this one element, that the soil that we're talking about, and Jesus is going to explain it in verse 13 coming up, but the soil that we're talking about is an analogy for the human heart. So if you're taking the notes this morning, jot this down. Soil represents the human heart. We've got sower, we've got seed, and we've got a heart. And when you read the first nine verses, I'm going to summarize them very quickly for you right here. Here it is. Four soils, path, rocky, thorny, and good soil. In the first three, path, rocky, and thorny, no grain is produced, no grain is produced, no grain is produced. But in the, in the, in the good soil, 
When the seed hits it, it creates this amazing abundant harvest, 30, 60, and 100-fold that which was sown. I'm going to go back to the Bible and try again. Verse 13, let's look at the second half. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? This is the disciples asking Jesus to explain the parable. Then he says, how then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that was sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Verse 18. And the others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that, are, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. The disciples come to Jesus and say, we don't understand this, and he gives them a hard time. He says, if you don't get this one, you won't get any of them, because this is the kind of cornerstone parable of Jesus' teaching. It's the most important one of all. It makes all the other things make sense that he teaches them. The sower goes out. The one who is sowing is sowing the word, sowing the gospel, sowing the truth. He's pouring that out. He's, he's, he's sharing that. And it's falling on all these different kinds of hearts. Now, the sower himself or herself could be Jesus, but it could also be just someone that is sharing the good news, that is sharing the gospel. It's being spread. It's falling on all of this soil. And what happens when it hits each kind of soil? Well, when it hits the path, as you can see in the text, it, Jesus says that Satan comes, because it's laying on the surface of the ground. Satan comes and takes that piece of grain and bites it and eats it and chews it up and it goes away. Now, interestingly, when you read closely in Mark chapter 4, all four soil types, it says for each one of them that they hear the word. But we know that this word was not heard with the understanding of the heart. As a matter of fact, it says in Matthew's rendition of this particular parable, it says that that person, that, that their heart was the path they didn't understand. In other words, they could hear with their physical ears, but they couldn't hear with their spiritual ears. And so the bird comes down and he snatches away the, the seed that is put on the path. Faith is not activated because of their hardness of heart and because of the enemy's job, because of what he has done, his theft. The rocky soil is a soil that receives the word and begins to do something with the word. It hear, the hearing turns into doing, and there is an immediate response. There, it says in the, in the text that the, the little plant starts to grow up. They receive the word, and immediately something starts to happen. But because there's no depth in their life, because they don't have root, a root system, as soon as the sun comes out and it gets hot, it scorches the planet, withers up, and it dies and blows away. The thorny soil is like the rocky soil in that the word is received, it's heard and received and responded to, and it starts to grow, and we could argue it even has roots. It starts to grow up strongly. However, there are other plants in that particular garden. Jesus says they are three things. These thorns are the cares of the world, they're the deceitfulness of riches, and they're the desires for other things. Now, I want to give you a real quick, just real quick primer on those three thoughts, because this is probably the biggest challenge uh, for us, is these three particular thorns. Cares of this world are not a bad thing. The cares of this world are things like when Jesus says, you know, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll put on. 
It's all of the normal stuff in our life that we need to take some care about. We need to look to with some level of diligence, but we don't need to overfocus on it. We don't need to obsess about it. Those things, though not bad, can become distractions which keep us from looking to the Lord. The deceitfulness of riches, though, is not a good thing. Turn to the person next to you and say, deceitfulness is never good. Never good. This is, these are the lies that people are told and believe and tell themselves about money. Remember, we talked earlier this year, much, much earlier this year, we talked about how money has a, has a voice and money has a, a spiritual kind of personification. It's this idea of mammon. And money always says the same thing when it looks to you and whispers to you. You know what it always says? It says, you need me. You have to have me. Have you, anybody ever heard money say, you need me? Only one person. Jeanette, I appreciate you. You are a godly woman. I'm going to try that one more time. Have you ever heard money? I don't mean you heard it like out loud. I mean you heard the whisper where money says, you need me. All right. Three quarters of you are honest. That's fantastic. <laughs> money has a voice and it says, you cannot do without me. That's why you can't serve God in money because God says the same things. You can't live without me. Money has a, has a voice that wants to be worshipped, it wants to be followed, it wants to be obeyed. It's deceitful. There are lies related to money that get our eyes off of the Lord. The final thing that Jesus talks about there is he says there are desires for other things. And that doesn't sound terrible until you start looking at what that word desire means. It actually means craving or lust for something that is forbidden. Ugh. That's part of the thorns that are in the ground that are choking out the good plants. It's a desire for things that are not sanctioned and authorized and blessed by God. Things that are inside of us, temptations to do evil, those things will draw us away as well. So cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. These things come and they choke out the good plant that is starting to grow in the garden when the seed falls on the thorny ground. Final kind of ground, of course, is the good ground. It is the ground that hears the word, accepts the word, and bears abundant fruit. You know what I think of? Whenever I think of the good ground, I think of um, Susan and I having arguments in the garage because this has happened a number of times in our married life. She will go away and do whatever she does at Home Depot or Lowe's, and then she'll come back and she'll open up the back of whatever vehicle she happens to be driving, and we have just paid good money for dirt. It's special dirt. It comes in a really fancy bag. It has like, when you open it up, it has like a certain smell to it and little things have been placed in it and it's super rich and everything. And I'm like, why are we buying dirt? We can get dirt just about anywhere, right? And we've got plenty of it in our yard right now. No, no, no. We have to have this dirt. So we pay extra money to have someone else put dirt in a bag that looks fancy so we can bring it to our house and think we got something special. Yes, right. That's what she says. Yes. I know it's better and it's got stuff and all of that, right? I know, I know, I know. But that's what I think of. It's that rich, dark, like it's not, there's no rocks in that dirt. There's no, it's not light color. It's always dark. I don't even know if they paint it to make it nice and dark. So you just get, you know, you're just like super rich, fertile. You want to stick your hands in. That's the kind of dirt that I think of when I read this. And when the seed hits that kind of soil, great things happen. Hears, accepts, bears fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. Tim, that is a fantastic recap of what we already knew about the parable of the sower. Stay with me. I want to talk about lordship as it relates to the soils. Every person on earth is one of those soils. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are one of those dirts. 
your heart, your heart is one of those kinds of dirt. You're either a path person, a rocky person, a thorny person, or a good person in terms of the soil. Thinking of this parable through the lens of lordship. A path person, the seeds get thrown by the sower, they land on the path, and because it's on the surface, the devil comes and eats them, right? He, he's doing his, what's the devil's job description? John 10.10, 10. the enemy comes, kills, steal, and destroy. He's stealing, that's what he does. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do in terms of his evil, intent, wicked intents. He comes in and he eats the word. He takes it away. The word never gets into the heart. It stays on the surface. And so the enemy is able to come and get it. There's no repentance. There's no salvation. There's no growth. There's nothing. Jesus is neither Savior nor Lord. There's nothing going on spiritually there. Hard heart. A rocky person is a person whose heart is open and the seed comes in and immediately, remember, with joy, it produces something. Immediately, there's the growth that starts to take place inside of them. There is initial fruit. I would argue this person has received Jesus as Savior, is thinking of him as being the one. This is good news. This is the gospel. I want to receive this. I want this thing. But over time, because there is no depth, because there is no roots, because of these rocks that are there, when it gets difficult, tribulation, persecution, tribulations like trouble, bad times, persecution is attack, someone coming after you. When attacks come and fear comes and there's difficulty and trouble, that person says, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I like the idea of being my savior, but I mean, seriously, I'm out. And every single person in this room knows someone that this has happened to. You had a friend, you had someone at youth group when you were a kid, you met someone at work and they, they gave their hearts to Christ and they were going, they were doing great. It's John chapter six, they're doing awesome at the beginning. But when life gets hard, they're just not sure anymore. And they pull back and the sun scorches their spiritual life and they dry up and blow away. Jesus is not the Lord at the deepest levels of their life. And healthy spiritual fruitfulness can only come from soil that is free of rocks. The thorny people, it sounds funny to say it that way, the thorny people, those are people like the rocky people in that they hear the word, they receive the word, and something starts happening spiritually inside of them. This little plant starts to grow up. There is salvation. Jesus is Savior there. Yet there are other plants growing in the heart as well, the things that we just talked about. And these plants are counter to the good thing that God wants to do with the good seed, and they eventually choke it out. It's like salvation breaks forth, but then other lords take over because that's what those thorns are. They become, they become the one in the position of Lord in the life of a believer. You need to worry about all these cares. You need to continue to desire and crave these things that are forbidden from you. You need to listen to the voice of money or whatever the thing is, but they come in and they take that lordship position. And Jesus is not the only Lord. He's Lord, but not Lord of all. Healthy spiritual fruitfulness comes from soil that is not only free of rocks, it is also free of weeds. Good soil is that soil that is receptive and rich, where the seed of the word comes inside and Jesus is recognized and worshiped and followed as both Savior and Lord. And over time, amazing, amazing fruitfulness is realized. And it's not just the gospel that's coming in. Consider this. We think, when I think of this verse, when I think of these, these renditions of the parable in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I always think the same thing. The, the sower is sowing the gospel. The good news that Jesus died, 
was buried, was resurrected, and ascended to heaven. Then he did that for our sins. That's what I always think of when I think of the sowing. And I was just realizing as I'm preparing and praying over the last last several uh, months, I've been thinking, you know what? It's not that. It's Jesus himself. Jesus is the word. He's the one that comes to take residence inside of us. He is there. It says in John chapter uh, 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word is Jesus, and the word is full of grace and truth. And that word, him, the presence of the Lord is being sown into our lives. And he comes to a person that's a path person, and he can't get in, and the enemy steals it away. And he comes to a person that's a rocky person, but there's no depth. And he comes to a person that's a thorny person, and there's choking out of that life because of the other lords that are there. And he comes to a person that's a good-hearted person, and Jesus moves in, and his heart for us is realized and we begin to produce fruit because there's no rocks there, because there's no thorns there. I mentioned earlier that I wanted to read to you what it says about the good soil from Luke. Listen to how Luke describes it. He says, as for that good soil, they are those who hear the word and hold fast to it with a good and honest heart and they bear fruit with patience. I love that Luke says they bear fruit with patience Because this whole agricultural example is something that takes place over time. And we get the idea that the good seed hits the good soil and the next day you walk out and you got a hundredfold increase. It doesn't work that way. It's slowly but surely good fruit with patience is born in our lives when Jesus is both Savior and Lord. The only difference between the good soil and the other soils is that Jesus is Lord of all in the good soil. He's not fighting with rocks. He's not competing with thorns. He is the Lord of all. Write this down if you would. The spiritual fruitfulness of our lives is directly connected to the lordship of Jesus in our lives, period. The people that we look at and we say, man, that person is just going to town for the glory of God. Their life is bearing fruit. It is because of this element of lordship. It is not that, they, that their salvation was somehow better than yours or mine. It's that they have surrendered every corner of that garden plot to the work of Jesus. And he's growing good fruit there. I have some really good news for you. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, I am ready for some good news. Here's the best news you're going to hear today. The soil of your heart and my heart is not fixed. It's not just one kind. I said earlier that everybody in the world is of one of those four soils. That's true. But I'll be honest with you. I've been all four. I am all four at different times and in different ways. Well, think about this. Everybody that's here that knows the Lord Jesus, at one time in your life, you were a path person. Turn to the person next to you and say, you used to be a path person. I used Scott in the first service. I'm going to use him again. Scott tells the story of his testimony that people... Different people were spreading the word. They were throwing, they were sowing the seed of the word into Scott's life. And Scott had no time for that. He ridiculed, he pushed back, he impugned, he, he made people feel stupid for trying to share the gospel with him. But here's the beauty of how God works. And this is many of our stories. The beauty of how God works is the Holy Spirit is like just a little, you know, you know sometimes they sell garden implements for people of a certain age. And they're just smaller, like the small little shovel and the small little hammer and the small little rake and the small, you know what I'm talking about? Nod at me so I know what you know. Okay, right? 
the Holy Spirit's not like a sledgehammer. He's not like a big, huge pick. The Holy Spirit is like one of those little, little hand-sized picks. And all this seed's getting sown in our lives. And we're talking about Scott. And Scott's life, it just keeps falling. The enemy keeps eating it. We're filling the enemy. The enemy's stomach is full from all those seeds. But the Holy Spirit's working. It's just working away. And that path is slowly but surely being softened up. And eventually, one of those days, this is why we gotta keep sharing the truth, keep sharing the good news. Eventually, keep sharing Jesus because eventually one of those seeds in Scott's life dropped down inside and it started to grow. And something amazing happened. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit's that little pick, that little, that little you know, garden shovel opening up the hard ground, in the same way that that happens, it also happens that the Holy Spirit will come in and will start pulling rocks out of our lives. He will start working around in that grass and taking those thorns, those weeds out by the root so that we can bear good fruit. The soil in our life, our hearts are not fixed. They are constantly being worked on by the Holy Spirit. If we will correct, he is the helper. We know that the Spirit is the helper. The one that comes alongside, he is also the helper in the garden of our lives. He puts on those Holy Spirit gloves and gets to work in our lives when he is invited to do so. Through repentance, through surrender, the rocks and the thorns can be removed. Write this down. The human heart is able to be changed, not just once or twice, thank God, but over and over and over and over again. But the key is surrender. The key is invitation. Lord, come and work in my garden. Come and work on my soil. Come. What's the condition of your soil? I just want you to think about yourself for a moment. If you had to be completely honest, and I'm not asking you to say anything out loud, but if you had to be completely honest, what's it like in there right now? My guess is, for most of us, there's some rocks and probably some thorns that need to be addressed by him. Always. And don't, I don't want you to feel bad about this. It's not as if, you know, you came out of your mother's womb and you were a little path baby and then you grew up and you became a harder path teenager. And then something happened. The seed got in. You started growing. You've only been 30, 60, 100 fold since then. I don't know anybody like that. That seasons of good soil, seasons of rocky soil, seasons of thorny soil. We're always being worked on by the Spirit. We just need to cooperate with that work and stop pretending that we can manage the cares of this world or the desires for other things or the deceitfulness of riches and still be growing good fruit. It will not happen. Think of this. On the, on the board here are all the initials, and these represent people that we pray for regularly here at Grace. I, I come in here at least once a week, and I pray over the people that you've got up there. I hope that you continue to pray for the initials that you put there. We want them to grow fruit with patience, right? We're praying, and we're standing, and believing that they will come to Christ. Now, if I was able to snap my fingers and this week all of those people came to Christ, my question for you is this, what kind of soil would you want them to have in their lives? It wouldn't be the path, right? Because these are path people right now. So it's not the path. But would we pray, oh God, could you please bring them to a place where they have soil that has rocks in it? God, would you please, you know, let them be thorny soil as they come to you? Of course not. What would we want? We would want them to be good soil. Say it with me, good soil. Here's the thing. You're praying that for them, but are you, are you contending for that in your own life? Because they're gonna become like you are, not like you want them to be. 
We have to be honest about what's actually happening inside of us if we ever hope to be those that, that can be a model and a guide and a help to those who don't yet know Christ. We've got to be honest about what rocks are there, where there's fear and where there is intimidation, where we're feeling come, like the enemy is coming against us. We need to be honest about where the thorns are. And I'll tell you this, just being completely gut level with you this morning, this thing of deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things, we are famous, and I mean this Christians generally I meet, are famous for having a divided mind, thinking that they can pursue the things of God and have God grow good fruit in their lives while at the same time entertaining desires that are forbidden. Or a, or a hunger to, to, to listen and to be obedient to the voice of money. It cannot be done. Why is the church of Jesus Christ in the West less fruitful than it is in other places in the world? Part of the answer is we want it both ways. We want to love Jesus and serve him and say that he's Lord of all, but then in our private and secret places act like he's not Lord of all, and he will not bless that. He can never bless that. So the call for us is say, Lord, come, Bring your pick, bring your shovel, bring whatever you need and work in this garden. I surrender, I repent. I wanna pray for you here in just a moment. But would you just take a second right now, would you just do a little quick self-examination? Where in your heart, where in your heart do you need to invite the Lord to work? Where is, uh, where are there rocks? Where are there thorns? And what are those thorns? And what are those rocks? Because we're going to pray together and then I'm going to open the altars and just invite you to come and invite the Lord when you're here to do his gardening work inside of you. And I don't know that this is true. I have, I'm, I'm just going to say it. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted the grace of God, you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never invited him to be both Savior, the one who forgives you of sin, and Lord, the one who's the master of your life. You've never said those two things to him. This morning is the morning where you can say, I surrender to you, Lord. I want all that you have for me. And I would invite you to do that. If you come forward this morning and you want to pray that prayer, I'm happy. There's others here that are happy to pray with you, to stand with you. But for the rest of us, what can you invite the Lord to remove this morning from the soil of your life? It's not fixed, it's totally changeable. What do, you, what do you want him to work on? What do you need him? What are you seeing and sensing right now in your spirit that you want him to work on? I'm gonna invite you in just a moment to come forward with that. But would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your amazing love and mercy that brings us back again and again and again to allow you to work inside of us. Lord, I thank you that you never shame us for admitting our wrong. You embrace us for admitting our wrong. I thank you that when we bring you our, the state of our hearts, even when they're a mess, even when they're full of thorns or rocks, there's no condemnation. There's, a, there's, there's love and there's a willingness to help, a willingness to heal. I thank you for that, Lord. And so in the context of your grace and mercy, would you this morning Bring us to a place where we're willing to admit and to surrender to you the things that are in our lives that don't belong so that we might be good soil, that your word might exponentially, abundantly, generationally manifest and grow great fruitfulness in. That's our desire this morning, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't run and rush from this place if we need to come and be with you, Lord. May this be a safe place for us to engage your spirit, listen to your voice, 
and allow you to do work on us. And we pray this this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I want to speak a blessing over you before you go. After I finish the blessing, if you want to come forward for prayer, please do so. If you're, if you're not coming forward, which is totally fine, would you just please leave quietly so that those that are up at the front can have quiet as they pray? And would you extend your hands in front of you? I want to bless you in the name of the Lord before you go. Grace Church family, friends, guests, visitors, those online, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, visit us on the web at grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.